Hello and welcome to I Wish I Knew That About Songwriting, the show where we bring you tips, tricks and techniques that we wish we knew as young songwriters. On this show, we focus on interviews, we focus on resources, subjects you're going to find useful and you can go home and you can use them today. So thank you so much for listening and welcome to the show. People of Earth, welcome to another episode of I Wish You Knew That About Songwriting with Jamie and with Callum. What's up, dude? What's up, dude? How's it going? It's good. I can see it's sunny where you are. It's a fine and sunny day here in Bordeaux. I can see the river. Anyway, completely irrelevant. You know how the show goes. We love to start you off with something you can kind of be a part of. You can go and research and understand. So Callum's going to kick us off with his song of the day. So my song of the day today fits in nicely, I think, with what we're going to be talking about on this episode. Oh. And the song is My Sharona by The Knack. <sighs> I'm dancing. This is a song about a grown man being hopelessly horny for a teenage girl. Never going to stop. Uh, Give it up. Such a dirty mind. I always get it up for the touch of the younger kind. Uh, this tension and release here. Dynamic ceilings. I'm feeling a bit of tension, yeah. yeah. I'm wondering where you're going here. <laughs> but according to Doug... <laughs> According to Doug, the lead singer, it took okay. them less than 15 minutes to write the song, start wow. to end. Um, Doug later said that My Sharona was written from the perspective of a 14-year-old boy, even though it's clearly written from the perspective of a 25-year-old man, so horny that he still feels like he's 14. So there's a joyous teenage immediacy to the song. And I wow. think it's a great example of what can be achieved when you give your creative full control. And you absolutely nailed that. Yeah, that's why it's my song of the uh, song of the day, and I think it's going to tie in very nicely with what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, those of you who are eagle-eyed and eagle-eared, and you kind of know the show, Callum's done an awesome job of introducing that, and that is actually, you know, even my kind of tension of like, oh, what's he saying? That's the point today. We're going to go into why that is part of the process. Um, and my song of the day is. In contrast to Master Callum with the classics, I've gone for something that came out summer last year and it just, it radiates from one of my many songwriting crushes, um, Paul Klein from the band Laney. So the song is Dancing in the Kitchen and Callum had like a little preview over Zoom because I've got this standing desk vibe here um, of, of the dance from the video. So if you want to see that, just, you know, we'll create a Patreon for something like that. But Dancing <laughs> in the Kitchen, there is so much. I have so many points on this and I really do encourage you to listen through from the start, probably to minute, you know, two, two minutes in a um, couple of times and then refer back to this because there's trading space. So there's actually two and one here where you've got, but there's so many, that's the thing with Paul Klein. He comes from a Nashville background. So there's, I've got so many tools all in one, but for example, trading space, when he does the payoff just after the first chorus finishes, then they got do, 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 up the octave because it's early. Um, of the synth filling the space. So you're not taking away from that kind of listener's attention with lyrics. You're just filling the space to kind of aid the song while you're reflecting on the point 
and the payoff, which is dancing in the kitchen. My point is there's setup science here because using the Nashville payoff, using Ralph Murphy's first two lines to set up the whole song, um, incredible lyrical deep diving right from the start, you know, city lights are like ice under the stars. You're like, amazing. This is really cool. Lyrical short-term memory. Again, they've got buzzwords in there in terms of location and also, sorry, Don Perry on dripping on our shoes and the little Callum can see the dance with the little the fingers thing. Um, but Don Perry and I like to call it buzzwords, often locations like New York, LA, Don Perignon, all these different brands and places. They're called buzzwords. They can be quite useful. Melodic contrasting. I absolutely love the pre-chorus. And I think Paul Klein, again, similar to Sam Hunt, they're not people that are blessed with like meteoric ranges in terms of singing, but they always manage to make an incredible job of melodic contrasting and maths. And they use pace and delivery and texture. And so I'm in love with the way that those songs are put together. So there's a bunch of other tools, but I think dancing in the kitchen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 of kind of our main tools um, with a couple of extras there. So Paul Klein, man crush, crushing it in songwriting and incredible to go and see and going to listen to if you want to learn more about songwriting. Awesome. I don't think anyone's going to pay to see the, uh, do the dance, but well, you get the experience. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll work on it. I mean, we can all take praise, can't we? And criticism. Um, yeah, now. What this episode's sorry, about. You're going to abuse me then. I cut you off. I shouldn't have done. Um, I'll pretend the internet delay. We can do that these days, can't we? Oh, sorry. I'll cut you off. Uh, Zoom. <laughs> um, so today, topic of the show. And the reason you guys are here, not to listen to me, is to hear about the creative and the critic. You may have heard editor and creator. I came across that via Songtown, which is an amazing resource. But the creative and the critic is the way Craig Wiseman puts it and the way that I like to kind of teach people about it. Um, so who are they? For those of you who have heard the show before, bear with me in some respects because I want to go over this again. And those of you that are new, welcome to the creative and the critic. And the way to think of it is you have a creative drive. You're creative process, if you will, for songwriting, how you write songs. And I want you to picture two characters. I want you to picture first a blank white room and the creative number one, first one. Imagine, I always imagine my old psychology teacher who was a druid with long hair, just a super chill, really cool guy. But this first character comes into that blank white room and they've got paints on the floor. They've got brushes and they're just relaxed. They want to create. And suddenly, without thinking, he picks up the paintbrush and just starts throwing paint all over the room, everywhere, all over himself, all over everything. No adherence to any rules or just throwing it in different colors, picking up a new brush and throwing it in no way trying to find anything yet. Just creating, 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 throwing color, like I said, being relaxed, enjoying it. It's almost a childish way of doing it. And then you can imagine after a while, the hippie gets a bit tired, needs to go outside and do whatever. So he takes a break, leaves the room. And the second character that's really important and their interaction is really important. But the second character is called the critic or the editor. We're going to use the critic today. I want you to imagine Guy Molman. Is it something Molman from The Simpsons? That really short guy with square glasses and a clipboard wanders into the room and looks at this beautiful kind of painting or what it is, is paint everywhere. But what he does is he takes his clipboard and his post-it notes and he walks around the room and goes, okay, this could do with looking at again. This is cool, but this needs to be moved. We need to think about this area again. And slowly he goes around the room doing his job creatively and kind in a kind way, sorry, leaving post-it notes. And then 
when the editor's left the room, which is important, the creator's gone, the editor's gone, that side of your creative process is gone, then the hippie can come back into the room. Look at the post-it notes, consider them, and then just start creating again. Start creating in a kind of focused way. So as you can imagine, that kind of happens back and forth. You can imagine the revolving fireplace in Batman or something like that. But we, we really want to focus on the fact they don't want to be in the same room at the same time. And I even think you might be thinking, oh, what about Ryan Tedder? What about lights? People that produce from top to bottom, Charlie Puth. I think they become masters of switching out and in very quickly. I don't think they, ed- they edit and create at the same time. We'll be talking more about that later. So, Callum, what are you thinking, creative and the critic, my friend? Creative and the critic, I think. The editor is the one in the room who weighs every word and will you know, weed out the cliches, say you need to use broader brush strokes here, shift the melody there, be more metaphorical. Um, and I think we more often than not need an editor if we want to craft a great song out of a good idea. We need, we need that critic to, um, to come in and to, to say this needs to change here. This needs to um, shift. Um, what is the goal? What is the task that you're trying to mm. achieve? But the trick is to not, as you say, let the editor or the critic get in the way of the creative process. Exactly. And and it's really, again, the reason we use these characters of a hippie and paint and then a small guy with a clipboard is because we want to understand that they are different, but they both are going to achieve the same thing. And I want to base this first of all, that in order to power the creative and why we have him as a hippie is he needs to have some inspiration, needs to have some feeling, some stimulation. We talked about last time, the inspiration meter. So we're assuming that you've taken good care of your creative drive in that you have some inspiration because um, as we all know, songwriting doesn't work when you just criticize. You know, you need to be able to come on. And as Craig Wiseman says, your critical voice, the critical analysis grows exponentially faster than the creative drive. And I would have said that before, and I'm happy to repeat myself because it's an incredible way of thinking about it. And that's why we have to think, right, your creative has to be well, well inspired, well looked after. Um, and we're going to talk a bit more about that now, because it's really important to understand they're different, but you use them. They are you. They're not other people. Often when I work with people in sessions, they'll say, I want to be a co-writer. And I go, cool, of course you do. It's really good. It's a really good way to understand this process. But I really believe that people, if they focus, especially through this pandemic and everyone's kind of a bit kind of out in the open and isolated. And some people I work with are a long way from local scenes. You've got to focus on how you can become a better co-writer with yourself. And that's the idea here. And you're not missing anything from other people if you know how to use your own creative drive. So important question, how do we inhabit the two places, the two characters, the two people? So I love to think about the creative tools. How do you be more creative? First of all, something that a lot of people who've done any kind of um, English study or writing or even acting, they'll understand there's things called free writing. In acting, it would be improvisation. And literally the whole point is, we talked about this a bit before with free writing templates last week to flow into this week. The idea is that you write and you write and you write and you write and you write. I didn't say think any point there. I said you write and you write and you write and you create, you put, you output you output you output like a child that's what i've been talking about is how do you inhabit this space um think of it like a child what does a child do do they think about what they're gonna do they just do it 
They go and run over into the water. Or even like a dog, if you want to think of it that way. Dogs just run to water. They don't worry about the washing up or who's going to have to clean them. They just power into it. So be more dog, be more hippie, be more kid. That's how you aim to be a creative. And of course, I could kind of go down a lot of rabbit holes here, but I want to focus on the fact that the idea is you inhabiting something that does not sit in judgment of itself, like a child, like a dog, like most hippies, the ones that I've met. So in terms of those tools, again, it's free writing. It's paying really good care and attention to your inspiration meter so that it's full, so that you feel you have creativity. Because again, everyone has a critical mind. So it's easy for that critical mind to overwhelm the creative. Whereas if you understand how to cultivate your creative, and it is somewhat of a mindset, like there's four types of personality, which I won't go into. And one of them, they talk about an acting. One of these should never be an actor. And I probably think should never be a musician, but it's important because this person operates completely on external fear, on judgment, on calculating risks well before they even have put their foot in the water. These kind of people you have to be really careful of and understand that we all have a part of that in ourselves. It's not a judgment thing. Um, Mm. So in terms of critical tools, I I think Callum has some really cool stuff. Yeah. And I really wanted to revisit the point that you are more a fear fighter than you are a songwriter. Exactly. You know, are you letting fear drive your decisions when you're writing? You know, that's not a good idea. That's not cool. That's not how this person would write this song, this lyric, whatever. Um, I think you need to remember, we all need to remember that we have a unique voice as, as, a, as a songwriter. The grain, as Ed was talking about, it's a, it's a beautiful point. It's a very subtle one. Your grain as a songwriter. Sorry. Mm. And so when it comes to tools, um, you know, Pat Patterson is quoted as saying, there are no rules as a songwriter, only tools. <laughs> so knowledge is power, as they say. And going back to the Get uh, Get Back documentary, if you haven't seen it yet on Disney Plus, get a free trial, um, whatever it takes. Or Callum speaking to me because I'm dragging my feet here. Yeah. But <laughs> the best still write bad songs. The best still have bad days, and they're they're still critics of themselves. But they have tools, and I noticed this in in the documentary was that they have they had these tools to consistently so that they were able to consistently cultivate their creative. Oh, cool. Go on. And I, I noticed that Lennon would react um, by playing the guitar, cracking a joke um, or changing the awesome. subject whenever he felt that McCartney or anyone else in the room was becoming too critical as when they were trying to write. So he would basically force the editor to leave the room so that the four creatives could just take center stage. Wow, dude. That is amazing. And it is practical, right? I think you've nailed that because we talked about how do we practically do it? Pick up a guitar. Mm. And this is something I saw happen to Tyler. Tyler's a student of mine for a long, long time. He's been really helpful for the show. Um, But we were working on his composition, that being when you sit with a guitar or a piano and you just go into that kind of mesmeric state, as he called it, it was mesmerizing. Because you have to shut off the editor. Because I can see as soon as you're trying to write something critically it doesn't work you have to sit and be mesmerized as what john would be doing in the room when everyone started to bicker and really shut down their creative drive he brings a guitar in which trips them all to going okay where's the melody where's what paint can i throw here Mm. got to go back to that and um it's a beautiful point and 
Equally as well, when it comes to criticism, it was something I wanted to bring up because a guy called Ari, who I've started working with recently, and in our first session, he said, I'm really jealous of people like Taylor Swift or Drake or John Mayer, the people that can put their personal life in their songs so clearly that it couldn't be about anyone but, you know, who's on the front cover of whatever here and there. So this is a guy with a family and he's in a part of a community and he sees all these people all the time and he's like, well, I can't write about that thing. And I said, well, why not, Ari? He goes, well, what if it was all that kind of what ifs, what ifs. And like Callum's saying, being a fear fighter is the same thing as being a songwriter. And only last week, or yesterday, last night, we did a session and we went through all these free writing templates and all the bunch of tools and we got to the end and he just looked at me and went, you know, I never thought I would ever be able to write something like this meaning he put down his personal life into a story. And the way that we'd written it was not calling anyone out. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't cynical. It was really kind of cathartic for him to talk about his personal experience. He thought he couldn't. And the point here is that you need to be, you can be a child, you can be a dog, you can be a hippie. That's amazing. But sometimes you need to be a warrior. Sometimes you need to be a king. You need to think, I am worth these ideas. Because if you have an idea that's really bothering you, we talk about therapy in some ways, a lot in my sessions and kind of catharsis to a point that if there's a story that's really bothering you, if you're being inhibited by a critic saying, you can't talk about that, you can't do that, that is the critical mind. Why can't you? It's not being released yet. Of course you can press, no, I'm not going to release that song if you really think it's going to go for someone. But Callum and I are talking, how do you cultivate that creative? Don't stop it. If something comes out, like the first thing that Callum said that had me like a bit tight was the subject of that song. The first of the songs is something that could be a bit taboo, but actually, no, you go out and you explore that part of your creative. You write it, you don't have to finish it, but you do have to commit to creating. You do have to commit to being free to express yourself, to be free to talk about these things that are really bothering you that you want to do in songwriting. Um... There's a bit of a rant there because I think it's an important one and seeing Ari, how happy he was, how fulfilled he was, just being able to get everything out instead of inhibiting himself and sitting with surface lyrics and sitting with cliche like Callum's saying, this creative thing is super powerful, but it's really fragile and you have to figure out a nice relationship with your creative. Um, And again, don't worry about the consequences, exactly like Callum said. And a little quick other practical tip I find really helps. Um, when this came up, I was talking to Josh Gleaves, actually, we had a little call the other day about his kind of writing process and he's on the show as well. So you guys are going to really enjoy that. It's very different in an awesome way. And we were talking about working on a Google doc. And when I'm working on a Google doc with anyone I work with or myself or in co-writes, like I like to keep it quite clean. And this is deliberate. I don't like, unless we're free writing, obviously that's kind of dumping everything out, doing pages, morning pages. When I'm working on a Google document, I want to have as little distraction as possible because as soon as there's distraction, your editing mind goes, oh, delete that or get rid of that. It's in the way. But if you can have this clean workflow, that is also a practical tip and an aid to your creativity. And the reason I mentioned Josh was because he had a great point. He said, well, Jamie, I, I don't write on Google Docs. And I said, perfect. Pen and paper is beautiful too, because there's even that art of a flow between you and the paper. This sound again, this is quite hippie, right? But it is a practical tool in the same way, for example, if you're going to remember this, hopefully you may tell people remember things, you're supposed to say something quite weird, but in the same way, you can go to the supermarket. This is your Google Doc. Go and buy food that's been packaged for you and put together. This is your Google Doc. Call it artificial, call it works. 
or you can cultivate your own garden. You can see the fruit, the veg, you grow it yourself, pick it up. And that to me is an analogy for kind of writing on pen and paper, sometimes for your creativity. That is something really, really important. Yeah. And I think it's really important to say, um, jumping back to the not thinking about the consequences as well. Yeah. Um, and letting your workflow, pen and paper is great. Um, yeah. Does it make you feel good? You know, why are you creating mm, as well? Big That's one. a really important thing to do. And are you making music that you want to listen to? Because um, generally speaking, as creatives, um, we create to make ourselves happy. Um, yeah. So if you're not if you're not happy creating and you're having this constant fight with the critic, as we say, then you're not. It's no longer an enjoyable experience or the enjoyable the experience that it should be. And yeah. there's another quote that I just want to throw in here from Herbert Bage's uh, Swoop, which there's no surefire formula for success. But a formula for failure, try to please everybody all the time. <laughs> it's perfect. Mm. And it is what we talked about, isn't it? The filling the glass. Yeah. Can you tell your story beautifully in a way that others can relate to it? That's what we're on about here. That's, that's an awesome point. And Callum, actually, you triggered something else because when you said you're writing with pen and paper, I picture you, you know, in your room, kind of away from screens. And one of my points as well, a practical tip to aid your creative is turn your damn phone off, mm. flight mode it, put it in another room. Distractions are really crap. And I have my own like personal kind of buttons that get pushed to, I think with our adherence to the screens and mass media. And my problem is not that well, we are wasting time in some ways, but what are you losing in terms of what's called opportunity cost? You could be creating, you could sit in your room, you could be creating for an hour and a half. And yes, the world is going by and there's that fear of missing out, but you're really focusing on your creative process. And like we said, it's really fragile, the creative. So if you have your phone looking up at you, notification goes off, bing, suddenly you're like, oh my God, that's really upsetting. Or my stocks have gone down or can't believe someone would say that about me. You've completely ruined it. And I'm sorry, you know, the hippies ran out of the room. He's gone, oh, you're not, well, like Callum's kind of saying, the hippie needs to be happy. The hippie needs to be engaged. It's not going to stand there and wait and go, oh, what are you doing? suddenly the creator will come in. And if you want something a bit more practical, a bit more scary is, uh, and bear with me here, Callum and listeners, this is about songwriting and it applies to this, that there, there was a at Stanford university in America, it's an incredible research facility. They were doing testing using social media, using phones. And you can imagine using in this case, it's cannabis versus phones. So they had participants who were as equally matched as possible, two groups. The first group was doing the exercise, which was some form of IQ test or you know, kind of competence test under the influence of cannabis. That was group one. Group two were doing the same test, same amount of time, same conditions. But their condition was they had a phone next to them. They had their own phones next to them with all the notifications turned on, you know, banners flying, popping up um, while they were doing the test. So that was it. You know, one group was, was stoned while they did the test and the other group had their phones out. And the results were that I think it was about 50% more effective to be stoned than it was to be distracted by your phones. <laughs> so 
it's really important these days. And sometimes I kind of cringe when I'm around people or I walk past an office or a workspace and they've got their phones up next to them. And, and Simon Sinek, actually, I'll, I'll stop here and I'll point you to Simon Sinek because this is where I heard it from. And he's absolutely amazing. And Tim Ferriss talks about it as well. So sidebar distractions are killer for creativity. You know, like Callum said, um, or if you want to go to the Beatles, I don't imagine they had their smartphones out because they didn't have them then anyway. But they're also going, like Callum's saying, it's like, step out of the room a bit. They had cameras, very different. Maybe that's why they we talked about that might be why this wasn't their best album. But um, yeah, so that's my rant. But hopefully with those kind of things, it's grounded. It's not my opinion. Um, and I see it everywhere. And I think you can agree with me that we need to self-regulate. So before this turns into the Huberman pod on uh, neuroscience... <laughs> I'm going to skip gen- gently on. Um, now, this one was really interesting. Um, Emily Torman, someone that I work with, just started kind of working with. We were going through the session. She was finding the tools really helpful and she was really on it. Like I would say some of the things we talk about here on the show and she's like, okay, yeah, that's this part of my creativity. Like Callum and I were saying, it's allowing people to visualize their tools. Um, and she asked a really interesting question. He said, Jamie, how do we use pressure to help our creative process? Because the creative, I believe, because at the time I didn't have a smart answer. I was like, this is brilliant. Thank you, Emily. So I wrote it down to have a think about it. But the creative can work under pressure. If you can manage, imagine that room again. There might be external pressures outside of that white room. But if the creative can enter that room and have his space, you have to protect that space. That's what we're talking about. It gets harder and harder as you get older, as you get more professionals. Other things come in to try and take away from that creativity. You have to be even better at preserving that creative space. Um, I kind of want to go to another kind of practical story of mine that happened this week, but in a way that's really expressive of what we've been talking about today. Because I know some of you are going to want to learn through stories or through tools or I don't think a lot is going to be transferred um, just by me talking to you. So I want to go through a couple of things by way of talking about what Emily said. How we write under pressure. So for context, on Saturday, today's Thursday, I'm in Bordeaux right now and I'm excited. Like I said, I'm dancing to Lainey in front of Callum, my best mate. We're talking about songwriting. But on Saturday, we've got recording that starts for eight days with the band Maggie Cassidy and we had six songs going in and on Monday our guitarist incredible producer Tom McDonald Groot amazing really love him as well he thought it'd be funny he seems to every time we have months to get ready for pre-production but he always likes to drop in a song and not just any song not like one we can easily push aside and go I don't think this is as good as the other ones he drops an absolute ripper with no vocals at all well he did help me actually a little bit with that into the pre-production group with our producer and our producer went, oh, this is amazing. We have to write this. And guess who is left to write that song in three days? That would be me. And this happens a couple of times, but the point is I used all of the tools we have on this show and I'm smiling today and I'm standing confidently talking to Callum, talking to you guys, because I stood behind what Callum and I are pushing forward here. I didn't want to write this song I'll be honest with you. I had a lot of kind of like conversations with myself and even a few messages in the group to say like, Oh, I don't know. Or, you know, there's, we've got a lot of good songs, all of these get outs, all of these things that like Callum's saying and says perfectly, you know, I wasn't fear fighting. I was trying to get away. And instead I went, right, going to find time. So again, start working for myself in different countries. I was doing kind of 
business registration in, in French today using Google Translate and government documentation. So I would have excuses and the guys in my band might have been really nice and gone, it's all good, man. We'll do it later. I thought, no, who am I to do this if I'm not listening to my own advice? So I sat down, got the track up in Logic. And the reason I bring it up without going into the whole process, I'd be happy to one day if that's useful, but I use two main things. And the first one I did, so shout out to Grace Jackson because I shared it with her and she understood how cool it was, but Seneca, who's a philosopher, and if philosophers make you go to sleep, think of it like facts of life. Think of it about ways to be practical in your life. And what I've done is he'd written a book of letters and Seneca's letters have lasted two and a half thousand years. They're kind of some of the precursors to some of the teachings in the Bible. So this is amazing stuff. And I was sat there going, I don't really have a lot of input here for my creative. I'm really kind of struggling. So I thought, oh, I've got some of the wisest mind. One of the wisest minds ever is in, he's my toilet book. So I'm halfway through this book and I went, oh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a free rank template and my co-writer is going to be Seneca. So I pulled up a notes document and I just threw in all of my favorite parts of what he did. And I kind of played with a little bit and maybe had what I like to call little setups, you know, little stanzas that pay off and set up. And I had loads of them. I had far more than I needed. And I've only done a quarter of the book. And then suddenly I did another tool, which I like to call, which we haven't talked about. It's called priming a subconscious. We talked about it very briefly with lightning writing, but what I did here was instead of being blank in terms of what I wanted to create, I suddenly had all these wonderful quotes that I thought were really practical too. And I wanted to write a song. Funnily enough, we talked about distraction. I wanted to write a song about how we distract ourselves from our own potential. And we like to use excuses as I was doing before this song, instead of realizing what we're able to do and what we're able to become. And I used a lot of Seneca to do that. And I flipped it around and he was my co-writer. He fueled my creativity. So I've also harnessed another element of what we talked about today is that if we assume that the creative and the critic can't be in the room together and it'd be effective, what I did, because I had to write four minutes of a song and I used ABC STEM writing, I used all sorts of tools, but the biggest one I think is called Dash and Fill, where we focus really clearly, editor, creator, creator, editor, meaning I just did loads of melodic passes, meaning I just sang whatever. I passed the whole song through and I'd done my lyrical work. I'd put everything in my subconscious, but I was just focusing on lyrics. Uh, sorry, just focusing on melody. Again, if a few lyrics slipped out, and if you've heard this before, it's because I want you guys to get this properly. Dash and fill is really important, I think. And I went through five, six, seven times and not once or twice. We're not rushing here. We're not trying to get it done in two minutes. We're trying to find real quality melodies, real feeling to what we're doing. And suddenly I found something or I thought I had, I did an hour and a half on Monday. And then I came back the next day because we talked about step away, take a break. We don't have seven or eight hours to write a song sometimes, but I knew I had to step back. So what I did is I edited, created, edited, created. Second day I came back and over that evening, because I don't sleep very well, I'd kind of thought what sections are actually stuck with me. Again, tricking ourselves, earworms, the hook test, what's sticking with me, what, what means a lot to me. And again, to throw in an Adele quote here, she was amazing in talking about, John Mayer asked her about criticism. Does she listen to criticism? And she says, I used to, and I still read it because it's nice to know, but this is my album. And I was like, I won't do Adele impression because she's amazing, but I was like, that is just so good. And to me, I thought back to this band song, I was like, this is my song. If I want to write it with Seneca, I can. He's helped me do this. And equally, 
Who am I to judge what I do if I love it? That's what Callum and I are talking about. So we're harnessing this idea of like, be brave, be a warrior, write what you think you want to write and do it. None of the band had heard it yet. They were waiting. There was a lot of pressure. But using this pressure of going, well, I know there's pressure, but that's why it's important that I really say what I want to say purely in my own opinion, be my own creative. And then when we're talking about those melodic passes I'd done the day before, I went back and listened and went, hmm, there's my chorus, there's my pre, there's my verse. And then I like to put the dashes in. I know where my verses are. I know how many lines I've got, how many syllables. I know which part, because it resonated with me overnight. I know which part I love. I know which part's important. Then I started to use the editor, the critical mind to throw lyrics on top of these. And suddenly I had something all together and I posted it in the group and they were like, this is incredible. Where did it come from? We love this. We're going to record it. And it's going to be the ones we're going to do. Um, and I know that was long-winded, but knowing when to switch between creator, editor, knowing how to access your subconscious, knowing when it's important to step away, knowing how to use pressure, all of these things. I want you to get really comfortable with that because if you want to come with us on this show, we want to help you do that. We're not interested. Same with me. If I want to work with someone, someone wants to work with me, I've got to check they want to do this. They want to be under pressure. I think you need 33% of pressure to learn something when it comes to being taught, to being understood. So it shouldn't all be horrible, but it should be but uncomfortable sometimes. So I think what you're saying about you need to find that balance where you can switch Mm -hmm. effortlessly between the critic and the creator. And you will often need to write multiple versions of a song um, and utilize your inner editor or critic to transport listeners in the way in which you intended and um that's beautiful yeah um as a, as if you if you want a tool our tool for the day um would be go and we'll, we'll put it in the episode description for everybody um start check, go and check out alice paul's editing wheel for songwriters and this is a visual representation of how it, um, how editing can take a good song idea and really craft it into something great so, so cool, man. Put it on your Such wall, yeah. um, save it as a desktop background, study it. And I really think it's going to help remind you of ide- the ideas to apply to whatever song you're currently working on or have in the pipeline. Um, obviously, credit goes out to Alice Paul for this amazing tool. Um, That's something I'm going to be stealing, dude. I haven't even seen this. Kind of, I was really excited when you brought it on. It's really cool. I want to look at this and see how it works. Yeah, it's, it'll give you the tools to... You know, use this use this wheel as as an aid. Weigh every word, every note. Ask yourself if your song has a consistent point of view. Does each line come from a fresh truth and not tired cliches? Are you speaking clearly enough to keep the listener moving along the tightrope with mm-hmm. you? The tightrope. You know, John Mayer says it's a very fine, a very thin line between someone coming along with you on the magic carpet ride and someone going, "I've got it." You know, I know exactly what the carpet ride is, and good for you. Um, and so, <laughs> okay, best I've got it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and that's that's why it's key, I think, to write write bad songs. Just write, 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 write. Well, just write. That's what you mean, right? It's not that you aim to write a bad song; it's that you get good at just writing and not judging. And sometimes you find exactly like Callum said. Actually, I just want to add a little bit because when I came back the next day to this song for the band, I was like, "Oh, that bit isn't great." Actually, I thought it was, but then. Suddenly there was a new birth of something else because I had one thing stuck in. I knew what I was going for. I knew the character of the chorus in terms of melodic maths. I knew it was fast, lots of syllables. So that meant other parts of my song had to contrast, all that kind of thing. Um, And just quickly before homework, 
I'd like to add something, but again, I'd like you to bear with me. It's going to be like a little bit of a weird one, but hopefully this will be helpful to you is that yesterday I was working with, with Kayla Roldan, who is a really cool artist I've kind of introduced to, and we had this amazing conversation, but I introduced her to the idea of the inspiration meter. And she said to me, you know what, Jamie, actually, no, I've, I really feel like I have a lot of inspiration. I feel like I'm really, really full up. And she says, but I still can't quite get off the ground and I can't let my creator move. I can't do things in the way I'd like to do. And I said, hold on here. Do you think that you'll think of it like a, a grip over the top of the creator? The critic has got like a vice grip over your creative. She's like, yeah, I think so. And another analogy for you is <clears throat> imagine an extremely powerful car, like an American muscle car, a Mustang, but you put the handbrake on. So it doesn't matter how powerful the engine is and how much creativity you have, how much inspiration you have, the handbrake's on. And to leave you with something equally weird, um, Emily Nagowski, Polish spelling, Emily Nagowski, wrote a book called Come As You Are. And it's about the sex drive. And the reason I brought it up, I, I spoke to Kayla about it as well, is because she talks about even if you have a really strong, in this case, it's a sex drive, but think of it as the creative. Again, I'm putting this in different ways for you. It doesn't matter how strong your sex drive, it doesn't matter how strong a creative is. If there's something like that handbrake, if there's something stopping you, because it can be such a sensitive thing to be creative or your sex drive or arousal, any of these things, that any kind of impediment of that can really stop you. That's why the creative is so much more fragile, but so much more powerful. And again, Nagowski talks about, you need to really analyze what's holding you back from creating. Not always if there's a problem with your initial creative drive, what's holding you back? Because there's something you haven't thought about, something that's possibly emotional you need to look at personally, or whether it's all the distractions or the tools that Callum and I have talked about. If it's holding back your drive, you're not going to go. Even if you're fully inspired and you're listening to everything we're talking about and you're even better than what we talked about, you know this stuff, but if there's something getting in your way, it's just not going to work. So I appreciate you sticking me with sticking with me on that weird one, but shout out to Kayla as well. She's awesome. Um, and I'll let Callum, Callum's been very patient today, gone, gone off on one and he might be thinking, has Jamie taken his medication? I don't take medication. Maybe I should. Homework. Take us out, Cal. So your homework for from this episode is to write a song. Don't worry about if it's good or bad, if it makes sense or not. Just write. Leave the editor outside and let the creator go for it. And then to follow up on this, come back to the song that you've written another day as the editor or the critic. So use Alice Paul's editing wheel as an aid and weigh every word, every note. Ask yourself about whether it has a consistent point of view. Um, are you speaking clearly enough to keep the listener moving along with you? And hopefully from this exercise, you're then going to understand the two, you know, keeping the creative separate in that time yeah. between having written the song and then coming back the next day or a couple of days later you'll have, again, you'll have created something that you feel really good about and then you'll be able to approach it with that new perspective as the editor um, and you'll not be getting in the way of the creative because you'll just be coming yeah. at it as the, as the editor. That's perfect. 
And I'm going to add to that as well in terms of soft skills. So two things. One is that earlier we talked about how you can be a critic. Think of it also like if you're in a co-writing session and someone's come up with an idea, are you going to be rude to them about your criticism? Are you going to be harsh? Are you going to cut them down? No, you're not. You're not going to have a career like that. You're going to be empathetic in your criticism. That's what Callum is also talking about. And this tool is not like you're terrible. Think again. It's how do we move this? How do we shape this? How do we follow the creative river you were going down, but just, just go left, just go right. You know, that's one thing. And, and secondly, most importantly, something that John Mayer talks about, and this man has a lot of, should we say financial assets? He's got a lot of number ones. He's got a lot of things, mm-hmm. but he says himself, there's no better feeling. He's a single man. He's not married, doesn't have kids. So he's not being harsh. There's no better feeling in the world than when you finished that song. And not any song, but when you've really worked and you've understood your craft and you've got out that idea, like I saw with Ari last night, he just went, oh, wow. He, he was high for, for 15 minutes on the call. He was just like, this is amazing. So the homework is to do what Callum's saying, understand the switching, understand the different roles. And equally, like I also said to Riley and Ben, do you guys celebrate when you finish a song? He was like, no, I, what do you mean? I was like, well, when you finish a song, before it goes out to be judged and put against the world on, on any form of distribution platform, Spotify, whatever, do you just celebrate? If it's, a, if it's a coffee, if it's a high five, if it's just an acknowledgement to yourself, like Callum's saying, if you write on your own, just go, nice, cool. When you've done something, um, appreciate it. So it's, been a, it's been, a, been a weird one today. So I apologize, guys, if I've been off the, off the rails, but just excited, you know, but again because because i put the work in and spoke to a lot of you guys this week and um we appreciate it we love it and if you like the show if you have a friend who's interested in songwriting we'd love them to be a part of the community and shout out to grace jackson for just literally dming us and saying i had no idea you guys existed i had no idea this thing was happening and now she's part of the community she's going to come to bath she's a she's a close friend already um because i think if you meet people doing the same thing as you there's a connection so love to everyone Especially love to Callum because he's uh puts up with me, makes sure everything comes out on time, does the hard work. Um, and he's probably so humble he might even edit this out, but I hope that he doesn't. Um, I can just abuse him otherwise. I abuse him a lot, but he's very good at it. So loads of tools, loads of stuff to do. I'm gonna have a nap. Uh, we're saying goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Big love. <laughs> To find out more about us and to get in touch, please head over to I Wish I Knew That Pod on Instagram and don't forget to join the conversation on our Facebook community. Please also remember to email your questions about songwriting to I Wish I Knew That Pod at gmail.com and we will answer these on our upcoming episodes. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this, we would really love it if you could give it a share or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And Jamie and I will talk to you on the next episode.